to study, uh, continue our study in the book of Exodus. So open your Bibles there to Exodus chapter 7. We're going to back up and look at chapter 6 briefly. Uh, but I, I just want to uh, um, just really briefly state what is going on. We're still in just these opening uh, chapters in this wonderful book of Exodus. The first six chapters really are uh, written to help us understand. Moses is the author, but he's helping us understand that the children of Israel are suffering there in Egypt. And in response to all the suffering going on there, God has heard the cry of his people. In chapter 1, we see that he calls this man Moses. Chapters 2, 3, and 4 are about Moses' preparation. God is preparing him for this humongous ministry and calling in his life. So we've been reading about that. Moses, as you recall, has been very resistant, wouldn't you say? He does not want to do what God's called him to do. He feels he's totally inadequate. He wished God would call someone else. He, he doesn't want to do it. He tried to do it in his flesh. He killed someone. He ran off into the desert, and for 40 years, he's been hiding. And so that's what we've seen so far in these, these chapters. Now, we get to uh, chapter 6. Moses is just inadequate again. He goes to the elders, and he explains to the elders that, that God has sent him there. He throws his staff before the elders, and it, it turns into a, a serpent, as you recall, just kind of helping them understand that God is behind this. And, and so he goes and demands from Pharaoh to let the people go, and Pharaoh says, Yahweh, who is that? I don't know who that is. If you people are going to listen to this guy as your leader, you're going to have to work double hard. And he lays all this, this burden, more of a burden, on the children of Israel. And in chapter 6, God comes to Moses and he reminds him of the covenant that he's made with his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's trying to encourage him. And we're going to see more of that encouragement here in chapter Seven, But we come to the beginning of the plagues. Really, that's what chapter 7 is. So we're going to look at some briefly before we go into that next week. We'll, we'll look at the plagues a little bit more. But uh, with your Bibles open to chapter 7, and we're going to look at the last two verses of chapter 6 just in reading. Let's ask God's blessing on his word tonight. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for our time of study. This holiday season, Lord, is, is busy, but it's very exciting. Lord, won't you just pour your spirit out upon us, help us to minister faithfully, to share Jesus with family and friends. We love you, Lord, and we just thank you for this opportunity to, to share in the word, to speak the word, to share the word, to share our church and, and the gospel with others. Lord, make us a people that, that do that kind of outreach. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, chapter 6 ended with... Fearful Moses, again, he's, he's upset, he's making excuses about the calling and his ability. So God comes to Moses, and we see at the end of chapter 6, look at verse 29, the Lord came to Moses and he says, I'm Yahweh. He's reminding him again in a very stern way. He says, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Everything that I told you, I want you to tell him. And then verse 30, but Moses said, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh listen to me? 
So this is, that's the backdrop of coming into chapter 7. So you know God's going to do some work here in, in Moses' life. And I've entitled this very first section, these first seven verses, Renewing Moses' Calling. Notice this, renewing of Moses' calling. So the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Keep that in mind. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his hand. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you. He's not going to listen to you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies out of my people. Notice how God is claiming this. You don't work for me, uh, or you're not working for yourself, Moses. You're working for me, and I'm going to do it all. And you must trust me. This is very powerful I hope you get that. My armies, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians, verse 5, shall know that I am the Lord. Remember, Pharaoh questioned that. and God wants everyone to know that. Then Moses and Aaron did so. Just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. So remember, Moses is writing this. He's reminding himself and he's reminding us that that God had to come and encourage him and remind him. And then in Moses, verse 7, was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they went to speak to Pharaoh. So God is renewing Moses' calling, and he's doing it really interesting. In the first five verses, you get you know, these five steps, you could call them, or five points, you could call them. I'm not going to go that deep into each one, but you can see them that way. And he's building confidence in Moses here, and they come in order. The first one in verse 1 is God's going to make Moses, notice what he says there, as God in the eyes of Pharaoh, or I've made you as God to Pharaoh. Isn't that interesting? You're going to be my representative, and as far as he's concerned, because he doesn't believe in me, he doesn't know who I am, you're going to be God to him. The things that you're going to do, you're going to be as God to him. That's because Pharaoh thought he was God. All the Egyptians worship Pharaoh as a God. So God is now going to change the whole situation. The people worship Pharaoh as God. He thought he himself was God. So now Moses, God tells Moses, I'm going to make you superior to Pharaoh because he thinks he's a God. You're going to become God to him and more important than him through these things that I'm going to do. And then secondly, in verse 2, God says, Moses, you're my prophet. And you're only going to say what I want you to say, what I command you to say. And it's Aaron that is now your spokesman, your God, and you have a prophet, and that's Aaron. And Aaron's going to speak to the Pharaoh now. He's going to speak those things. Moses, remember, had complained to God. I'm not sure sure if I can say anything. And so God says, okay, I'm going to use you. You know, your brother, he's going to be a pain to you. You're going to wish you would have obeyed me from the beginning. Remember, and so now we have this Pharaoh is going to see you as God, and Moses, uh, you and Aaron are going to speak my words because I chose you. And I love how God works out all the details for Moses here. He's afraid, he's sheepish, because Pharaoh being a king, Pharaoh, being the leader of the land, would have spokesmen all around him. 
they would go out and speak for Pharaoh and do all these things. Because he was such a powerful man, he would have spokesmen. And look what God has just done. He's equating Moses as God in front of Pharaoh. And he's given Moses a spokesman, so he's given him this clout, this this vision from this Pharaoh that he's a mighty man of God. Very interesting. It's like the guy's important enough to have a spokesman when he comes into Pharaoh's presence. He has his own spokesman. He walks up there with a staff, and then Aaron, uh, Aaron speaks for Moses. I heard this joke. You probably heard it before, too. It kind of goes along with this. It's about the Pope who one day was driving somewhere in the car, and he wanted to drive himself, so he asked the chauffeur to move over and let him drive the car, and he gets in the car, goes 100 miles an hour, and a police officer pulls him over. You've heard this story before. The policeman knows immediately it's the Pope when he, the window goes down and he looks in the car and he looks at the Pope and he stutters. Excuse me uh, one moment. He runs back to the car and gets on the radio and he says, Chief, we got somebody very important here. I mean, I don't know who he is, but the Pope's his chauffeur. The, the, and what the, the, study, the study is now Moses has this authority, and he has a spokesman. He has a spokesman. God's given him the spokesman. So this, is, this really isn't important. Moses is going to be like God to Pharaoh as God works there. Moses is not God. The words he is speaking come from God. They're God's word. That's the point. Thirdly, in verse number three, God tells Moses again he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. We get that over and over and over in this story. We're going to hear it more and more. In other words, God is going to take this stubborn man that thinks he's in charge and make his heart harder. He's not going to make him just naturally reject God, but he's going to take the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and just make it harder. He's going to twist it like a sponge and squeeze it for all, so that people will see what kind of leader they have, so that Moses will understand how hard his heart is. God is going to do what's in the uh, Hebrew is kasha. It means to add to a stubbornness. God is just adding to something that Pharaoh already was, already had, his stubbornness. Very stubborn man. So, fourthly, verse 4, God tells Moses, but Pharaoh will not heed you. He's not going to listen to you so that I might lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. So God tells Moses he's going to bring the people out with these awesome judgments and these miracles. He's going to perform them. We're going to look at them uh, one by one as we go through this section. But here's the point God is making to Moses. It's not your power. These are my people. These, these are my judgments. I'm in complete control here. This is my plan, and I'm going to show my power, and they are going to recognize me for who I am and for what I do. Here's the application of that. Moses and Aaron now have to be completely obedient and faithful. They have to put all their trust in a God that, that is going to do what he said to them that he would do. They have to be faithful and obedient. They have to trust in the Lord, just like we are to trust in the Lord. He gives us a command. We have his word, and you and I, as his people, need to trust and obey. We need to trust in his word. 
We need to believe that he has the power to handle any situation that we find ourselves in. I Believe me, I know that's hard for us at times. It's hard. But Moses becomes a great example of this. If we'll just look at him and learn. It's not going to be Moses. It's going to be God and his plan. It's not going to be Aaron's words it's going to be God. It's not going to be Pharaoh because his heart's heart. It's going to be God, God, God is going to make this all happen. He's going to bring his children out. They're my people, he says. I'm just using you as a tool. These are my people. I'm going to accomplish my task. I'm going to bring them out of, of Egypt. Can I say that we must never take credit for what God will do? One of the greatest things I ever heard Pastor Chuck say over and over, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Not a church, not a pastor, but the great things that God does. And I'll tell you, it's so easy to get into your flesh and think that you did it, but God will not share his glory with any and he, in order for his might to be revealed to man, will never use the flesh, ever. Something that we're all having to learn over and over again. That God doesn't, he, he will use us, but it's his plan, it's his purpose. The, the human element has to be totally eradicated. When you read the scriptures, you find that, to be very true. In fact, it's Paul in Romans 7. Here's a verse I'd like you to look at, Romans 7, 18. For I know that in me, Paul says, the greatest apostle that lived in my flesh. Notice what he says in his flesh. I, I, I have a little self-esteem. I have a little goodness. What does he say? Nothing. God will not share his glory with man and with man's flesh. And we need to step aside and, and let the power of the Lord take over. We need to put in his hands our burdens and trust him for everything in our lives. And God will bring us to a place where we have to do that. The, the problem is we're taught in our culture from birth in schools that we're, we're just naturally good. And if we get enough education, we can accomplish anything. It's all about education and knowledge, right? It, you, you're good, and you have goodness, and you have self-esteem. I, I say that in jest. But the Bible says that in the, our flesh, there's nothing good. Nothing good dwells in us. And if we try to do something for God and try to take glory for it, we take away from his, and God will not allow that ever. Moses becomes a great example of that. God's, he'll, he'll use us. But he won't use our flesh to accomplish. He won't use our manipulations. He won't use our little discussions and connivings and things. That we'll, if we do this, they'll do that, and we'll work all this out. He, he won't use that. He sets the flesh aside because he wants to show his power. That's what these miracles are all about. Think about them. You, you know what they are. Even though we don't get into them deeply tonight, you know all of those things. The fifth thing that we see in, in succession here is he's trying to encourage Moses. God is trying to encourage him. So he's telling him all these things. 
Notice verse 5, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Why? Because it's not you, Moses. Because it's not you, Aaron. Because it's me, and it's my power. That's what he's saying. They're going to know that I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them, everyone will know that he's the Lord. That's a, a, a powerful statement there. If you're doing something and you want credit for it and you think that you're earning the favor of God because of your tithing, because of your church attendance, because you read the Bible or pray a lot, all of those things are important. I don't want to diminish the, the pursuit of those. I want to do the right thing. And I, I, but, but none of those things attract his attention. He loves you because God is love and he's gracious. He's a wonderful and gracious and merciful God. Now, back in chapter 5, go back to chapter 5 real quick. Just turn back two pages. I want you to look at verse 2 there. When Moses told Pharaoh that the Lord God of Israel demanded him to let his people go. Notice this. It's chapter 5, verse 2. And Pharaoh said, who is this Lord? Who is this Yahweh that I, the Pharaoh, should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't know who he is. Well, guess what, Pharaoh? <laughs> you're, gonna, you're about to learn who he is and how powerful he is. As we go through this, you'll see it again. Pharaoh, he, he just kind of dismisses God as some kind of fantasy of the Jews, of the Israelites. He, I don't even know who he is. He doesn't have any power. And I'm not going to free you. I don't care what you say. I don't care how many times you throw that, that staff in front of me. I will not release these people to worship this phantom God of theirs. So now God's going to show him. And he does it by hardening his heart. Remember, he's going to harden his heart so he can't just turn around right away. He's going to show him, show him, show him. And he's already told Moses, this isn't going to be easy, and he's not going to listen to you. You just have to be obedient to me. Again, God has given Moses these five things, verses 1 through 5, to encourage him. And just says, Moses, you just have to be obedient, and you need to do exactly what I want you to do. Do everything. As I've commanded, and I'll just take care of the rest. You have to trust in me. I'll take care of all those things. Again, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel among them. Verse 6, then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83. So here we get, this is Moses writing. He's kind of giving you this whole thing. He's spent his first 40 years in Egypt, then he spent 40 years in the wilderness, and now he's back in Egypt. He's 80 years old. His brother is older than him. God has chosen him over his older brother. He's not going to retire. He's 80. He's not going to retire here, but he's now prepared. All of these years of experience, he's been prepared to do what God has called him to do, and God is going to sovereignly work through this dictator, this king, Pharaoh, who thinks he's a God, God is going to work through him. He's going to deliver his people. God's going to show his sovereignty and his power. 
So verse 8 here, my next point, Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh. Now they're going to go before Pharaoh. They're ready. They're prepared. They've heard God. They, they know what God requires of them. Verse 8, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, remember, Moses is like God to Pharaoh, and he's got a spokesman, and that's Aaron. So you, you tell Aaron this, and Aaron's going to tell Pharaoh this. Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Now, the first time, this is interesting. This, this isn't, have you noticed yet? This isn't Moses' rod. Whose rod is it? It's Aaron's rod. It's not Moses. The first time the rod goes down, that was Moses' rod. He threw his rod down, and the, the, the elders of Israel saw the miracle, and, oh, Moses must be the anointed one. The rod has significance. The rod is like the business card, the identifier. This is important. But it's not Moses' rod. This is Aaron's rod. Back in chapter 4, when Moses threw his rod, this is really important, it became a serpent, right? And that's the word that's really interesting back in chapter 4. It's the word nakashah, and it's just a translate, easily translated word into an animal snake. That's what it means, but not this word. Chapter 7, verse 9, it's Aaron's rod now that turns into a tanim, and a tanim is a dragon or a crocodile. Now, where are these miracles and plagues coming from? Mainly around the Nile River Valley, right? There's a lot of crocodiles there. Even in Egypt today, they have snakes. If you look at the pharaoh, if you've ever seen Tutankhamun, you know he's got the snake. If you look at his, there's a snake. And there's also crocodile. Crocodiles are one of the symbols because it was one of the gods they worshipped. They were pantheists. They worshipped animals, the Egyptians. They worshipped many, many different things. But this is interesting. So it's, it could be that it's a crocodile. The word means dragon or sea monster in other places in the Bible or crocodile. Now, again, if you go to the River Nile today, you'll see what's called this Nile crocodile. I should have brought a picture of it. They're kind of menacing-looking creatures. Very, you know, They're not as big as the uh, American alligator, but they're big creatures, big, long uh, reptiles that they don't, stop growing. Did you know this? They don't stop growing until they die. That's why they get so big. Sometimes you'll see this 15-foot American alligator. They just, like reptiles, they just don't stop growing. And so these crocodiles here, tanim, and there's a direct link God is using. He's going to use things there in Egypt to show that Pharaoh and the Egyptians that they aren't in charge, that God is in control of everything. That's the use of these different plagues, and in this case, the crocodile, the symbol of Egypt. And we see that in Ezekiel. Here's a real quick verse just to prove that, Ezekiel 29, verse 3. It's also in the psalm, but speak and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great, notice this, monster who lies in the midst of the rivers. What do you think that is? It's a crocodile. And so there's evidence for this belief that it's a crocodile, not just 
a snake, although when you watch um, Ben-Hur, whatever, you know, the old depiction, Cecil B. DeMille or whatever, when you see uh, Charlton Heston, you know, drop his staff, it's snakes, right? That's what you see on there. But, but again, the scriptures would indicate it's not a serpent, but a, a crocodile. And God uses this crocodile like he uses other Egyptian animals that were worshipped by these people to bring judgment on them. Again, he's displaying that he is in control of their gods. God is proving this to them. Here's the application. Man has always tried to replace worship, the worship of God with animals and idols. They've always done that throughout the centuries. And I'm excited to go. There's 20 of us going to Athens this, uh, uh, when are we going? In April of 2018. And we're gonna, when we get to Athens, we're going to go to a, the monument where Paul went, and it's the monument to the unknown God. See, they had so many different gods, they didn't even know who it was, and they just worshiped the unknown God. And when Paul in Acts 17 gets to, to Greece, and he goes to Athens, he gets to, the, and he has this great oratory. We're, I'm actually going to read and teach from that when we get there. It's going to be awesome. Not my teaching, but just being in Athens and, and being in that place. The Greeks were worshiping anything and everything and they made a monument. They didn't even know what it was, the unknown God. And let me show you the verse real quick, Acts 17, 23. Paul says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I've come to proclaim Jesus to you. It's a really great sermon, by the way. It's exciting. So just like the Greeks in Paul's day, it was Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, and they're worshiping animals. They're all man-made gods. They're idol worshipers. They're filled. They even worship uh, a pharaoh, even a crocodile. And there were two main gods they were, that were like animals. There's Wadjet. You can look this up. It was interesting today looking at that. It's a snake-like goddess, again, found on the, the, the sarcophagus and the the tomb of the great kings of Egypt. And then Apopsis, Apopsis was an Egyptian god who appeared in the form of a crocodile. So when Aaron now, he's going to throw his rod down and it turns into a crocodile. This is the Lord challenging the gods of Egypt. Can you see? It makes sense, doesn't it? He's challenging their gods. He's speaking to these people in a way they would totally understand. He's challenging Pharaoh's authority and all the gods of Egypt. He's mocking Pharaoh's magic and revealing his sovereignty to Pharaoh and the people. It's, a, it's really pretty awesome. And notice here, my next point, Pharaoh's magicians, they attempt the miracle in verse 11. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments for every man threw down his rod, and it became a serpent. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Now, here's, this is interesting. What did they do? How were they able to replicate the same miracle? Some would say, well, it was just kind of sleight of hand, and they used the snake. You know, they, they would hypnotize a snake like a cobra, and bring it out like it's one, and then throw it on the ground, it would turn into a snake, and it's sleight of hand. 
I don't think you could do that with a crocodile. I believe this, what happened here is demonic. These guys, sorcerer, they were de demonic, and, and Satan was behind what they were doing, and Satan was behind this Pharaoh. And it's God now against Satan in this sense, and, and I love this. Don't you love this about God? His one crocodile just gobbles all the other ones that were crawling around, just swallows them all up there. So interesting. The main focus, again, on this story is, is that God's power is greater than man's. And it's displayed here in this miracle where God's, uh, through Aaron and his rod, has this crocodile appear, and then it eats the other or swallows up the other crocodiles or staff, the staffs, however you want to see that, of the Egyptians. And let me just mention a couple of obvious things about swallowing up. Here's the important point here, that God is in control, that God is, is more powerful, and God is going to swallow up as a sign of conquest here. I mean, we even use that kind of language when we talk about football games or, or uh, sporting events. You know, we, we ate them up. We swallowed them up. I mean, that's really what that means. You, you wiped out your enemy. And I want you to turn to Exodus 15 real quick. We'll just read a couple of verses here. Turn to Exodus 15 because it's after the, the deliverance of the children of Israel. Millions, millions. There's several million people that are going to be delivered. They sing the song of Moses. It's a beautiful song. We'll, uh, I'm not going to read it all to you tonight. But they get through the Red Sea and they look back on the Red Sea. And they see this song. That's kind of my slide there. That's the Red Sea and how it was mar marvelously parted as they went through. But notice in Exodus 15, I'm just going to read these first five verses and we'll jump down to one closing one. But then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke. This is a song. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed grace, great, uh, gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. And it goes on and on. Go down to verse 12. You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. So go back to chapter 7. Aaron has just cast his rod down. It turned into a crocodile. The magi mu demonic magici mu magicians have come up. Musicians. <laughs> Sorry, guys. The demonic um, magicians have just come forward, and they've, they've replicated demonically the same thing, but, but they were all swallowed up by the power of God. And God is kind of revealing, I'm going to swallow you up. I'm going to swallow everyone up. And he does. He swallows the armies, Pharaoh, up in the sea. So God is, in a sense, forecasting. He's letting them know. He's in charge. He's in control. And just as Aaron's rod can swallow up theirs, that God is going to swallow up the rest of their their nation. He's going to wipe them out, eradicate them. So again, here in chapter 7, we see in verse 13, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. 
as the Lord had said. So even with the powerful display of Aaron's rod, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He doesn't want to let him go. He's in charge. He's more powerful. He has magicians. He's demonically empowered. There's no doubt about it. And he's not, his heart just gets harder here and gets harder. It's like God comes up to him and says, Pharaoh, I can just swallow you up. I mean, I, I love the way God displays that so clearly. He's proving. Proving through this miracle he's just done in front of Pharaoh and all his magicians that he has control and has power. So Charles Spurgeon wrote a, uh, a sermon, and it's entitled, The Power of Aaron's Rod. Very, very interesting. It's a very interesting sermon. I, I love to read Spurgeon. But it, it's all about how God can swallow up our problems. God can swallow up our enemy. God can take care of business in his power and in his might. The question is, why didn't Pharaoh at that moment just repent? Why didn't he just say, okay, God, you're, you're way stronger than I am. I see the miracle that you're doing. And, and why didn't he just repent? Now, he doesn't repent after this. And this isn't even a plague. This is kind of pre-plague. And then we go to the plagues, each one of them, one, two, three, four. We get to five and to the ninth one. And he, you would think that he would just repent after he would see these, wonder, these wonderful and miraculous and unexplainable events happening all around him. But the Lord keeps hardening his heart. That means God is strengthening Pharaoh's choice. He's already made his resolve to be tough and not let God's people go. Again, Pharaoh's heart was determined. He determined it by his volition, his will. He was not going to let God's he would, He's not going to recognize Yahweh. He's already decided that. So God's just adding to what Pharaoh's will already is. Pharaoh wanted to do that. He wanted to keep the people in slavery. That was the whole thing. So God just gave Pharaoh over to his own sin over and over, and he allowed his heart to get harder and harder, and he allowed him to do what he wanted to do. That's what it means to harden the heart. We shouldn't harden our hearts. As a believer, the scriptures say, here's a great verse in closing here, 1 Peter 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. God will not share his glory with any. He's going to do it all. They're my people, he says. These are my commands that I want you to communicate. This is my plan that I want you to enact. Don't do it in the flesh. Don't disobey me. Do everything that I've called you to do. And then here Peter says, you know, God resists the proud. If you're not a believer... The scripture says that you're going to die in your sin. The scripture makes it very clear that God loves you and he sent his son. That's what Christmas is all about, the incarnation, the son of God coming to the world and, and sharing the love of God, demonstrating that love when Jesus went to the cross and died. And so that free gift of eternal life is for any, even those that have hard hearts. 
but you must receive that free gift that God offers. It's by repentance and belief. You must receive that gift. That's the only way you can be saved. It's, it's a beautiful thing. The writer of Hebrews says today, if you hear his voice, do not what? Harden your heart. Don't harden your heart against the voice of the Lord. If you don't know him, you can turn to Christ today. It's not too late. If you know him, God resists the proud. Moses is learning. He's been prepared. And now God is leading him and showing Pharaoh that he has complete control. And as we move forward in Exodus, we're going to see these great plagues that come against Pharaoh. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I thank you for the story, the history, Lord, of your people and your redemption of your people. You're, you're, you stepped into the world and you came to save your people, to redeem them, to buy them back, to bring them back to yourself. They're your people, just as you sent your son, Father, Jesus Christ. And it's, it's at Christmas time that we worship, that we're so grateful because we see a little bit of your plan. We understand a little bit more of who you are, your great, great love that you would send your son, not as a dictator or scientist or politician, but a savior, Christ the Lord. And we so honor you and we're so blessed. Father, as you spoke to my heart in the study today, I, I just pray those things that I've tried to hold on to and manipulate in, in the flesh, forgive me, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for taking any glory from you. To God be the glory. Great things you have done, O oh Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus tonight. Amen.